are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. This evening we will be turning again to the book of Leviticus. So I invite you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. In your pew Bibles, it's page 97 if you want to pull one of those out. I'm beginning Leviticus chapter 19. And as I've been saying, every time Leviticus is about approaching God and then communing with God, coming to God's presence and then walking with him. God entered the tabernacle, but Israel could not enter the tabernacle with him because of his holiness, his glory was there. And so God then appointed sacrifices to purify the people, to atone for them, then that they would be able to enter God's presence through the priests. God has provided the means of approaching God. And we saw this over and over for through the first 16 chapters of the book, the sacrifices, the cleanliness laws, and then in the pinnacle of the day of atonement, we approach God through the means that he has given us through this sacrifice. Of course, for us, we approach God through Jesus Christ. And now as we, the, the, the shift, uh, the, 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 the view shifts and changes through the end of the book, we're looking at what does it mean to commune with God, to walk with God continually. Now that we have approached him, what does it mean to continue to walk with God? And so we begin this here in chapter 19 this evening. We'll be looking at only the first four verses. So I invite you to now hear God's word. Pay attention to the reading of God's holy inspired and inerrant word. Leviticus 19 verses one through four. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord, your God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Leviticus has often been called the book of holiness because of passages such as this. There are six passages that are similar to this throughout the book of Leviticus, where it's a commanded of God's people to be holy. This theme is central. We've seen it over and over and over. Holiness is described in many different ways and talked about in many different contexts, but it's a command for God's people. So we're going to consider this primarily. What what is going on? What does this command mean? You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. It was repeated for us in the New Testament. This is a command for us that we must heed and pay attention to. Being made holy, we are to walk in holiness. And we'll simply have two points this evening. First is considering God's holiness. And then second, our holiness. So first, let's consider God's holiness. All theologians will say, and it's grounded strongly in scripture as we see tonight, that God is holy. Any systematic theology you pick up off the shelf will address this fact this attribute of God, that God is holy. 
It's based on texts like this. I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Other texts such as 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, this prayer of Hannah. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Holy. There is none holy like the Lord. But maybe that most quintessential uh, picture of holiness in Scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 6. And you'll remember this, where Isaiah writes, in the, king that you, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him sto- stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This picture of this throne room where not even the seraphim can look upon God's holiness. God is holy. But what does this mean? How do we kind of define holiness? How do we understand? What does it mean when it says God is holy, 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 holy even? Well, the Hebrew word holy has an original sense of something being cut or separated. It has a sense of really being separate. So something that's holy is something that's separate. But then how is God separate? What does it mean that God is separate in this way? What does it mean that he's holy like this? I think it refers first and foremost to his complete otherness from creation. His transcendence, he is far above anything we can imagine or understand. We are mere creatures with finite minds, but he is something so utterly different from us. He's transcendent, he is other. He is separate from this created universe, not in distance, not that he's far off, but in being. His being is radically different from anything we see and touch and feel and taste and smell. He is separate, not dependent upon, and altogether different from us. So he's separate in his being from us. But this drives us to the next layer of understanding what holiness is getting at. He's separate in his being, and part of this comes to be illuminated when we understand his moral perfection. He's not just separate from fallenness and sin and brokenness as if he's standing off, not wanting to be touched by it, but he himself is perfect. There's a moral perfection that he is, a purity that defines him, a weightiness and magnitude of his being. And this holiness is not like one facet of God, one little aspect that we see, but it characterizes his entire being. Everything about God is holy. So we can say it characterizes all of his attributes. His justice is holy. His wisdom is holy. His love is holy. His decrees are holy. Everything about him is holy. And again, I think the best biblical illustration is Isaiah chapter 6. And as we picture what this throne room might be like, it's, it's not a, a, a fairy tale. It's not just some figment of Isaiah's imagination, but it's a true telling of only a glimpse of God's holiness. What a small snippet of it could be like for our finite and small minds. His holiness is far grander than can be displayed in words alone, but it gives us a, a beautiful picture 
of this holy God that we serve, sitting enthroned in heaven with glory and holiness. We also see in scripture, God himself is holy. He's the He is the quintessential holy figure. There's none that can ever be like him. That's what Hannah said. There's no holiness like God's holiness. But yet at the same time, God designates other things as holy. God designates other things as separate, things to be separated out, things that belong to him in a special way. Holy people, Israel and the church. Holy places. The land of Israel was a holy place set apart for God's people. We can have the gradations of holiness as we've talked about many times in Leviticus. The land was holy, but even more was the temple, temple holy. The outer court was holy, but even more the inner court. And even more the holy of holies was the most holy place on the earth. So there are gradations of holy places, but places God has set apart as holy. He's also set apart times. We'll come back to this, but the Sabbath is a holy time, a time separated from other times, designated to the Lord, not to be used for common purposes, but for holy purposes and festivals and these things that we'll get into later in Leviticus. But God designates other things as holy, whether people or places or times. And these things don't share in God's essential holiness, but he designates them as holy by his holy will that they would glorify him. And all of these holy things that God sets up for us are to cause us to look back to the Holy One himself. They're all dedicated to the Holy One. So when we make use of holy time, it's about drawing us to the Holy One himself. Holy people draw us back to our Lord and our God. And this leads us to worship. Worship the Holy One. That's what we were made for, is to worship this God in heaven whose train fills the temple with glory the one we cannot even look upon. Yet, until we are made perfect in righteousness upon Christ's return, but we are to worship this holy God. God is holy. So what does this mean for our holiness and particularly this command in Leviticus 19? Our holiness. Well, first, we see all through scripture that God's people are designated as holy. Israel was called holy. First Peter chapter two, we are called holy. Quoting from Exodus 19. It's interesting, Paul, when he writes his letter, letters, he often addresses, in fact, six times, six of his letters, he addresses the church he's writing to as a church that is holy, to holy ones, or we may see it translated in our Bibles, saints. It's the same word, saints, holy ones. It's the same word. Paul addresses the church and calls the church saints, holy ones. You are holy to me, made holy by Christ's work. And doesn't mean they don't have sin. Saints in Paul's terminology is very different from what we think of saint today as somebody who's super holy, who has a special designation from a church body or something like that. That's nothing of what Paul had in mind. All of us are holy. We are all set apart to be holy people to God because of Christ and redemption. And this being designated as holy makes the gospel come home to us. What did Christ do if he wasn't making us holy, if he wasn't making us righteous, if he wasn't making us his people? Being designated as holy draws us back to Christ. 
shows us Christ's sacrifice, how a sinful people can be called holy. That's what the first 16 chapters were all about. It takes death and blood to make you holy, but you've been made holy by Christ. You're justified by a sacrifice on our behalf. So we're designated as holy because of what Christ has done, because we are covered in his blood. And we're called in this text to be holy, be holy. And I think there's really two groundings for this command, to be holy, to live in a holy way. The first is what we just said. We are holy. And through the New Testament and even through the Old Testament, we see this logic. You are holy, now go live like it. Paul says this over and over. You are holy, now live like it. You are children of God, now go live like God's children. Be holy, because this is your identity. This is who you are. You belong to him. You're his child. So this is one of the groundings for this command to be holy, to be obedient to God's commands. As you've been declared holy, now go live like it. Now, the other reason for this command is more center stage in our text here. It says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God's saying, I'm holy. You belong to me. Therefore, go be holy. I want you to look like me. I want you to act like the holy God that you serve. Our holiness is grounded in God's holiness. Our holiness is something we pursue because it's something that's true about God. He makes us his, therefore we be more like him. And this is consistent with being created in the image of God. We were created to reflect God. We were created in righteousness. We were created in holiness, as our catechism says. Adam and Eve in the garden were holy, but by their fall, they fell from that holiness. They became polluted and defiled. But we were always created from the beginning to image our creator, to look like our God, to be holy as he is holy. And now that we've been restored by Christ, that image is being restored, being called to live consistent with this image of God. Be consistent with who you were made to be. Your holy God made you. You belong to this holy God. So go live consistent with this image. Look like your God. And it's undeniable as we look at this text, look at all the scripture, this is an affirmative obligation for all Christians. We don't get to just slough off on the holy box. We are all called to be holy. We are all called to live in a holy way. We're all called to pursue holiness. Now, we don't be, we're not holy. We don't pursue holiness in order to earn anything before God. We talked about this last time where Israel, they did have to be holy. They did have to obey to keep the land in which they were placed. And it was this bigger picture to demonstrate you can't do it. You're going to fail. You need a savior. And so we don't do this to merit anything, to say that, well, look how great I am. Oh, maybe if I'm just good enough, God will accept me. No, we can't do that. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we don't pursue holiness to earn our God points for the week. We pursue holiness because this is the path God has laid for us. This is our rule for righteousness. This is how God has called us to live. We belong to him. This is what we were made to do. The law of God shows us how to be holy. 
The law of God no longer condemns the Christian, but it's now the path of life, the path of holiness. And this helps us remember that we are separate from the world. And this is where the idea of holiness is important for all of us. God has called us apart from the world, being the church of Jesus Christ. We are no longer identified with the world, but we are now holy, set apart, separate, sacred. And we cannot uncritically accept the posture and values and thought patterns and rationales that the world throws out there. Yes, we're in the world, as Jesus says, but we're not of the world. We don't belong to it any longer. We are now a holy people. And so we must first say, as we interact with the world's ideas, we must first say, what is right for a holy person to do? What is right for one redeemed by Christ to do? What is appropriate? What is honoring to God? What is right for a holy person to do? This is a command, an obligation we have. Again, not to earn our salvation, but to live in gratitude and to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. I think it's interesting here how God, immediately after this command, be holy, he gives three commands. And it goes on, and obviously we're not going on through verses five through eight. We'll pick up later in the chapter next week or in a few weeks' time. And, but, it, but it's interesting, these first three commands that God gives, these are commands for how to be holy. What does it look like to practically live out holiness? And God gives Israel three commands, and we'll, we'll walk through these. But all three of these are selections from the Ten Commandments. And we, we can take a step back and see the Ten Commandments as the moral law of God still are for God's people. This is how we are to be holy. If you want to know what to do to be holy, let's follow God's law. God's law is good and, and that pathway of righteousness for us. It's also interesting in these two verses where he makes these three commands. God says twice, I am the Lord your God. We spoke about this last time. But this is God saying, look, I am your redeemer. I am your covenant God. I have legitimate authority to command these things. Let's look at these three commands briefly. The first one in verse three is, every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. It's interesting, he says, every one of you. I'm not sure if he's either trying to get the attention of the children who've maybe fallen asleep because children, you are obligated to revere your father and your mother. Or maybe he's saying every one of you because adults often think, well, that's for children and not for me. But adults are called to revere your father and your mother. We know that this isn't speaking simply to biological families, the, the, the nuclear family unit. This is speaking of all authorities. Government authorities in scripture are called fathers, for example. So all legitimate authority were to revere authority. This is a reflection of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. But we step back, well, how is this critical to holiness? Is this really that big of a deal? Well, God has arranged authorities and structures in this world for the good of creation. And so proper authority must be respected and revered. But when we look at the family particularly, it is the center of the circle as we look at uh, this command and especially the fifth commandment. The family is of particular importance because it has always been the central community in an individual's life. Transcending the proper boundaries in a family unit without respecting, with trying to throw off authority, it has great repercussions on everyone involved. 
and has reverberating effects on others even outside of that family. So the family unit is critical. It's important for children to respect their parents, for parents to love their children. Without this, the social fabric can begin to unwind. But the essence of this command is God is calling us to respect holy people. God has set apart people in our lives that we are called to to fear and to respect. And God is essentially saying, you must respect these holy people in your life. Not that they're perfect, not that they're without sin, not not, not that they don't sin even against you, but we are called by God to revere our parents. So we see this commandment, this fifth commandment is is mentioned here, but then Paul moves, or excuse me, God moves uh, in this command to Israel to keep my Sabbaths. You shall keep my Sabbath. So he goes now to the fourth commandment. It's interesting that when when we think of the Ten Commandments, you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But here God says, you shall keep my Sabbaths, plural. There's a couple of reasons maybe for that. Some say that this is just to, to emphatically say every single Sabbath is important. You don't do it once and then get a few off and, and then come back to it. Every Sabbath is important. But I think it probably refers to the fact that God designates later in Leviticus different Sabbaths. So there's the one in seven Sabbath. For Israel, it was the seventh day of the week. For us now that Christ is raised from the dead, it is the first day of the week. So this is a Sabbath to be kept every single week. It is holy time for the Lord. But then later in Leviticus, there are other Sabbaths. The seventh year was a Sabbath year for all the land to lie fallow, that the land would rest and have the opportunity. Like we have a one in seven rest. The land has one in seven years of rest. But then there's also the Sabbath of the year of Jubilee. After seven-year Sabbaths, so after 49 years, the 50th year was set apart as this year of Jubilee, this grand Sabbath of Sabbaths, where the slaves went free, where land went back to its original owners, a wonderful year of celebration and partying for all of Israel. All of these Sabbaths were important for Israel. Yes, the weekly Sabbath, but also these once every seven years, once every 50 years Sabbaths as well. God says, you shall keep my Sabbaths, and this is about holy time. God designates holy time for his people to worship him. Holy time set apart from the rest of the week that's not to be used the way the rest of the week is used. This is holy unto the Lord. And again, the fourth commandment even says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. This is holy time that belongs to the Lord that we are to keep. This is part of walking out our holiness, walking with the Lord through life is keeping this one day in seven, holy. It's essential for us. So we have to think critically, how can I make sure the day is dedicated to the Lord? What should I do? Maybe what should I not do as well? Maybe we could even take a step back. How do I prepare for it? What should I do to be ready for it to be set apart as soon as I wake up on Sunday morning? can prepare and make sure this day is holy. Holy time. The Lord has declared is my time. So this is part of being holy. And then the third command that God reveals for Israel, he emphasizes, is in verse four. He says, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. And this is 
roughly repeating the second commandment. No graven images. Don't turn to idols. Don't make for yourself any gods of cast metal. No representations of God. You don't get to worship in the way you want to worship. You worship how I've called you to worship. We worship according to God's word, not according to the devices of men. God says, don't let the, the nations lead you, cap, lead you astray and take you captive and, and showing you how you ought to worship. No, worship according to my word. We must not let the nations, the world around us, take us captive and say, no, this is what we should do in worship. No, we come back to God's word and we do what God has commanded us to do. There is a holy way to worship God. Worship is so critical and important for God's people as all of Leviticus is showing us. And we worship how God has commanded us. So all of our life is called the holiness. These three little examples begin to demonstrate that. Holy people revere the holy people in our life. God's holy people honor God's holy time and holy people worship in a holy way. Now we can read this on a surface level and say, it's not that bad. It's not that hard, right? I just don't have to make any idols. My gold is not going to accidentally fall in the fire and make an idol for me. So I won't do that. I'm not going to make an idol. Yes, I can, I can obey my parents. I can revere my parents. That's, that's okay. That's, that's maybe a little more difficult, but I can do this if this is what God commands. Yes, I can keep your Sabbaths. I can go through the motions. I can do it. Yeah, week by week. Everybody else is doing it. It'll be easy. I can do it. One level, it's not that hard from an outward external perspective. The ceremonial holiness that Israel was being called to wasn't altogether impossible. It wasn't totally unachievable. But as these commands begin to get us, get us to this point, but as scripture unfolds, we see more and more this holiness is not merely an external holiness. This is not simply a list of things to do and not do. They're not boxes to check, but a holiness comes down to the level of our heart and desires. A holiness of heart, a holiness of affections. Do I love the things of the Lord? Of course we don't the way we should. Do I desire the things the Lord desires? Do I desire all that which is good? Of course not. This is a call to complete and utter holiness of our whole beings, set apart to worship the Lord, to honor him every day and every moment of our lives. This is a holiness that we cannot achieve, but it is a holiness that Christ has achieved and one that we will be confirmed in one day. This picture of holiness that we see here, as, as aspirational as we might feel it is, one day that will be us. A perfect love for God and our neighbor. Of perfectly worshiping and adoring him. And until that day, we rest in Christ's holiness. We read this and see our blessed Savior who did it for us. And we ask for the Spirit's strength to grow us in our own holiness every day. We still put our hand to the plow. We still desire to grow in holiness. We don't do it in our own strength and our own power for our own glory. We set our hand to the grindstone. We begin the work of seeking out holiness because we are enabled by the Spirit, because Christ has redeemed us, because this is who we are made to be. So let us be holy as the Lord our God is holy, keeping our eyes fixed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us 
grow in holiness, to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. We pray that you would make us more and more holy every day. We pray that we would be holy for you, our God, our holy. Help us in this. Keep on the forefront of our mind that it is good to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. May you not allow the world to affect our loves and our desires, but may you keep those holy set apart for you that in every way and thought and word and deed and desires, we would glorify your holy name. Help us, O Lord, every day to be more holy as you are holy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.